Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me your host Chloe Timms. In this episode I'm talking to Bobby Palmer about his contemporary novel Isaac and the Egg. Bobby is a freelance journalist who writes for publications including Time Out, GQ, Men's Health and Cosmopolitan. I really enjoyed chatting to Bobby and was so surprised to hear he'd written a novel before this one which didn't sell but he sees this as a positive thing, which you'll hear more about in this chat. We also discuss writing slapstick comedy alongside grief and reading memoir as research as a way into emotional subjects. But first, here's Bobby with an excerpt from Isaac and the Egg. For a moment there, Isaac was lost. He could barely breathe, barely see, barely find his way back through the undergrowth. Then a distant ding, 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 and the morning light through the trees drew him back to the road, to his car, to real life. To a passer-by it would look absurd, an exhausted-looking man hobbling out of a forest at the crack of dawn, struggling to carry a strangely light yet surprisingly cumbersome egg. He holds it as one would hold a bag of shopping while one roots around for one's front door keys, that is, awkwardly, cradled between one elbow and the crook of his neck, hiccuping as he fumbles for the passenger door handle. There are no passers-by to pass judgment. Isaac opens the door, carefully moves the old walker's shortbread tin to the back seat and deposits the egg in its place. In the driver's seat, he grips the steering wheel and studies himself in the rearview mirror. His skin has been turning grey of late. His hair is greying too. The only remaining colour is in his tired eyes, and that colour is red. His shirt is tie-dyed with mud and moss, and his best suit is ruined. Add his tie to the list of things he's lost. He's gained one thing, though. An enormous egg, about two feet tall, with a slick white shell and a distinctly musty odour. Isaac buckles the egg's seatbelt. He doesn't know what's inside and he doesn't want to spend the morning clearing up pints of yolk from the footwell of his Ford Fiesta. He looks at the egg, looks back into his own bloodshot eyes in the rearview mirror, looks at the yawning white sky over the slick tarmac. He turns up the heating, vaguely recalling the warming lamps they used on chicken eggs back in school. He remembers egg and spoon racers, too, the sheer adrenaline of getting an egg to the finish line without allowing it to break. Isaac shakes his head, 
puts his car into first gear and drives home. Hi Bobby, welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you here with me today to discuss your debut novel, Isaac and the Egg. Hello, it is a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So can you start by telling us what Isaac and the Egg is all about? Uh, yeah, and um, it's so I, I do think it's a story that's quite good to go into fairly uh, blind, but it's the story of a, a young man who, on one of the worst mornings of his life, uh, goes into the it goes into the woods, finds a giant egg, and decides to take it home. Yeah, and it's such an unusual premise for a book, and I think it's so unique, and hopefully that will be enough of a draw for people to just be like what is this about, you know, and pick it up for that reason. It's the, it's the nice thing about not um, not being able to say too much is, yeah. is when, when I talk to people about it, they almost uh, quite annoyed that they'll, they'll be like, oh, now I feel like I have to read. <laughs> <laughs> so I read a, I saw an interview with you where you said that initially this story was kind of fairly straightforward comedic novel and only later it became this kind of exploration of grief. So can you tell us where the initial idea came from? Yeah, so I I previously, and, and still I'm a bit, I'm a journalist, and uh, the, the stuff I've always written has been more uh, lighthearted, funny. You know, I've, I've, I've always liked using writing as a medium to, to try and make people laugh. Um, so I think when I started writing fiction, I very much came at it with the mindset that I'd write comedy or at least books with comedy in them. Um, I was, so it, it, it was a, a couple of years ago, it was when when the Baby Yoda craze was very big. Um, I was watching an episode of that uh, the show that Baby Yoda's in, The Mandalorian, and I, I had this idea that I, basically I thought it would be a really interesting challenge to write a book that was very heartfelt very serious and and very grown up uh but you if you just sort of put baby odor in it as well <laughs> so so you you tackle some serious themes but also have a, a strange slapstick li- little creature uh there and that that's where the initial idea came from uh i immediately sort of saw these scenes in my head started to piece it together around that but really when I started writing the book I knew if I wanted to do the serious element of it it would it would need a character who would have gone through something um and as I started to plan it to write it and and to almost get to know Isaac um it just transformed into something totally different and really the it's still you know I like to think it's still um a comedy in ways it's black comedy it's still got funny bits but I think the the more serious themes it was exploring took over more and and I'm really happy that they did because I think it became something that I hadn't expected to write but but, but I'm sort of really happy and proud that I did in the end. Yeah and I think you're going to have to send out apologies to many of your readers for moving them to tears and I know I said (laughs) to you that um, I had a little cry over it and then I had to go and have dinner so I was like very very complicated to explain that you've cried about a book that's got an egg in it you know it's it's a <laughs> it's a surreal thing I just I just got sent um uh, a review that I, I really liked where someone had said um I was in floods of tears over this book on the bus 
not because I was reading it on the bus, but because I was on the bus and thinking about the characters <laughs> in the book, which was which was really special. But I think the nicest thing for me is when people say that they they laugh and they cry on the same page because mm. that's really what I was trying to do, and it and it goes back to that that challenge when first writing it. I I really wanted to try and you know really really bring in both sides of of the human experience. So I wanted it to be really funny but also really sad because that's the weirdness of of grief and of of just you know being a human being so what do you think was harder than being funny or making people cry um so the 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 sadder stuff and the more serious stuff didn't come as naturally to me so it definitely took longer but in terms of when i when I got to the point of actually having written the book and redrafting the book, that then was the really, you know, I, I feel like when you're writing a book, you, you get to know your own characters. So the, the more you write them, the easier it is to write them. Um, if you'd read the first drafts, Isaac's emotion, you know, he wouldn't have followed a really like um, linear or, or realistic emotional path. And his, um, his late wife Mary, who's who's quite a key character, was was very absent and and sort of thinly drawn at the start. Whereas when I had written it, it felt like a it felt like I knew their relationship, so it felt like a, a really natural writing process. Whereas a lot of the comedy, which felt so obvious at the beginning, was the stuff that when I started showing it to people, the bits that I thought were really funny, they would they would just not laugh at. Uh, and then the bits that I had skipped over or had had missed a, a, an opportunity to to be funnier were the, were the things they were pointing out. So it's almost like I thought the serious stuff would be difficult, but I think actually making something funny is a is a really really um, difficult task, especially in a in a book where you you really have to earn um, the humor. I think. Mm. I wondered really whether the whole premise of the novel you worried about in a way because it is so unusual and it is kind of strange. Did you were there ever, ever a point where you thought are people going to get this? Are they going to understand it? Or was that, <laughs> or did you think that was almost like the selling point of it? Yeah, I I I think it was the selling point, and it, it was definitely what excited me about writing it in the first place. Because if it if it didn't have that huge contradiction I think I would have felt like it had been maybe done before you know it, it, it's almost self-consciously built on the backs of of amazing novels like um Grief is the Thing with Feathers by Max Porter and A Monster Calls by Patrick Ness there were definitely points further on in writing it where I thought can I make this work <laughs> will people want to read this but um I'm I'm one of those people that you know you have I think you have two kinds of authors you have authors who will endlessly start ideas and give up on them. Whereas I'm someone who spends so long ruminating on an idea that once I start it, I can't, I have to finish it. So even if I second guess myself along the way, I, I knew I was going to at least get to the end of it. Yeah, it's that balancing act between wanting to write a book that you really believe in, but also tr and trying not to think about what agents will think or what readers will think. But I think you naturally do a little bit sometimes. Well, I had written another novel before this, um, which I 
had very much not thought about the reader of, you know, I just wrote what I wanted to write. And that was very long, very time travelly, very um, quite confusing and and um, epic in, in not the best possible way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I... I so I submitted that novel to agents and I I did get an agent off the back of that but then we never sold it to a publisher so I very much approached this with the mindset of okay I, I want to write something that I really want to write but I also you know I want I, I want it to be published you know? yeah, yeah. there's no point writing something you you mm-hmm. really want to write if no one's ever going to read it really unless unless you're literally doing it as as a hobby but um I was lucky that I had an agent because it meant even though this idea was very weird, I knew that there was at least one person who would definitely read it. Um, and as long as it wasn't absolutely awful, would tell me what um, needed to change and and would then take it out to publishers. So I, I it, it was a it was a nice um, safety net basically having having an agent in place, even though I had. Uh, written that novel before that that never saw the light of day so did you go to your agent and say I've had this baby Yoda kind of idea or did you had you already started writing something before you then sent it to your agent and said what do you think I had uh when I first met my agent uh who's Millie Hoskins at, at United she asked me what I was thinking of writing next and I think in in a very maybe one or two sentences I said this is my idea and she said great uh and then that was really all we spoke about you know every conversation there because then lockdown hit so this all happened during the first lockdown um and I think we checked in a couple of times because obviously my my other uh, book was out on submission and a couple of times she she would say oh are you writing that that weird (laughs) weird (laughs) idea and I'd be like yeah but it was nice to have that have that space but also have her confidence that I could make something out of it. Mm. It was a really short writing process. I, I think I wrote the whole thing in three or four months and then um, checked back in and said, here it is. And and she, you know, she essentially read it uh, about as, about as um, knowing about as little as, as, as you would from, from picking up the book and, and reading the blurb, which was really nice because um, I think she got to, experience it as as a reader would and and then be able to say this is this is what it needs so did you write it while you were out on submission or did you know your other book hadn't sold at that point um I wrote it while I was out on submission Mm. as a as a distraction because because I as a freelance journalist I lost all of my work straight away as soon as COVID hit so I was left in this in this situation where you know I couldn't do anything didn't have any work uh, and I knew I had a book out on, on submission so I just sort of to keep saying threw myself into into writing this book seven days a week and um it, I think it sort of shows in the book you know it, it's the book about a, a man who is a shut-in he's in his dressing gown all the time he's losing his grip on reality so I think it ended up being a weirdly um apt uh writing process that, that sort of fed into how the book is is like written. method method acting in book form <laughs> yeah and I, I think there's loads of there's loads of books that were written during lockdown that aren't about mm. lockdown but you can feel the 
this almost the, the vibe, the atmosphere is informed by by what was happening at the time. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, I've read a lot of kind of claustrophobic books this year. Yes. <laughs> or written in 2020 or edited or kind of finished in 2020. So yeah, you're yeah. right, right about that. I want to go back and talk about the book a little bit more because one of the things I really want to speak about, because I think it there's a lot of shades of this, is ET. And yeah. there, I mean, there are references to it in, in the book and um, Isaac references it as well. Um, so I want to speak a little bit about how you kind of created egg and the look of egg because uh without giving kind of too much away egg has um his own language as well so how did you kind of come up with this image of this weird looking creature with long fairy arms and black eyes so there are there are two questions that that i always get asked by people when they've read the book and the the first one is um why an egg (laughs) and the second one is um, why did you decide to put so many film references in the book? And my answer to both of them is just, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> egg was always an egg. And and the the film references are just sort of, that's that's how I see the world. So, you know, if, if I walked into the forest and found a giant egg, I'd be like, oh, this is like Jurassic Park. This is like <laughs> alien. So, you know, I, I, it was almost the obvious way I would describe things. And it ended up bleeding into Isaac's character being a, a bit of um, a pop culture nerd who who that that's the frame of reference he has mm-hmm. on the world. Um, Egg as a character uh, was was another of those things that was just just popped into my mind, uh, fully drawn. I think I mean he he's hugely influ- influenced by ET in the way that he comes into Isaac's life and and their relationship is is very much a. Uh, almost a pastiche of, of the ET story because I knew everyone would be familiar with that story, so it was a really entertaining one to subvert when you when you find out what's going on later later on. Um, but in terms of of his design, I think I just I just sort of in my head would be like, okay, Isaac's a a guy who really likes eighties films and is a children's big works in children's books, so he would. If you know the, the big question is 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 egg real is egg not real? I'll, I'll leave that up to the reader. But if he wasn't real, Isaac would sort of crimp him together from the things that he knows. So it would be ET's scream and ET's voice with the fur of uh, Gizmo or um, an Ewok, uh, the sort of eyes of Yoda, the arms of Mister Tickle. So <laughs> it's just this sort of. Uh, I, I I was very much picturing one of those those Frank Oz puppets from from one of those eighties films because I think it was you know if if you if you were to adapt it visually it'd be important to me that egg would look not quite real you know you'd look at him and you'd go that's not that that's a that's an animatronic little thing or that's or that's being controlled by strings but because. Isaac is is drawn into the magic of it. I I, I wanted the reader to, they're, they're, it goes back to that initial idea that there'd constantly be this thing there that you're like, that's ridiculous, that's not <laughs> real, but you go along with it because that's mm. that's just the, the story asks you to. And I think, like you say, the movie references really help readers suspend that disbelief, and you're just happy to go along with it because it does feel familiar and it does feel kind of comforting in a way because it is things reference points that we all know and it's partly it's partly doing that to go 
oh you know this you know this story so come on in you know the, the, mm. this is this is how it's going to go but then also probably at about the halfway point to then start going okay maybe this isn't going to end up how you expected maybe this isn't just the story of a man finding an alien in the woods and, and trying to get it home mm. and I guess then you don't have to over explain a kind of logic to Egg and necessarily where he's come from you can just let the reader draw the dots themselves what's funny about that is I I had a lot more of that in my first uh the 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 book that went went out in the first place almost theorized a lot more about egg's origins and and uh who he might be and where he might be going where he might come from and actually working with my with my editor frankie at headline um we stripped a lot of that back because the if you read the book it's not it's not remotely sci-fi or fantasy, mm-hmm. but I think the more you try and play on those tropes, the more the more obvious you make those tropes, the more it almost takes away from the human elements of it. So rather than being like eggs an alien, which was which was how I first approached it, Frankie's idea was was a lot more was a lot better. It, it was it was it doesn't matter where eggs from. Egg egg has come from another place he's arrived in Isaac's life and that's all you need to know uh, mm. because then once again with those with those tropes with those films it's referencing you you color in the color in the blanks yourself there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I wanted to talk about the relationship that Isaac has with Mary, who is um, his dead wife. And you mentioned that kind of the filling in parts that you kind of did later where you, where you knew your characters better. So I wonder whether you could speak a little bit about your approach to building their love story because a lot of it is through Mary's absence in Isaac's life. Yeah. And I, I knew when I first started it, I, I didn't, 
I didn't approach it as as writing a book about grief. I approached it as writing a book about a young man who's who's at a very low point because I was interested in exploring uh, masculinity, the the way that a lot of men um, don't take things very seriously, don't feel like they not necessarily don't feel like they can open up to their friends. It's more that they don't want to burden their friends with anything anything too heavy. So they come to rely on their, in Isaac's case, his his wife, Mary, and his sister are the only people that he ever really opens up to. So when he loses Mary, he goes into a tailspin, and that's, that's you know, when and why uh, Egg comes in. So I it became a grief book because... I, I needed Isaac to be in that that very dark place, but then I also didn't want it to be one of those stories that has talking of tropes, the the, the dead wife, you know, the mm. the oh, you just see her every so often in like uh, a flashback, and she's just like laughing, and then you never hear her say anything. So I I, I started writing Isaac and Mary, and for me, that's when the book got its heart because. It is. It's as much. It's as much a love story between Isaac and Mary in the past as it is a love story between Isaac and Egg in the present. Um, and I, I just really enjoyed finding out uh, how they met and and how they built their life together. And um, yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. It, it was it was as as much fun to write Isaac and Mary as it was Isaac and Egg. And I, and I hope that that comes across in the. Uh, in the reading of it as well so was their relationship something you had to almost put a lot of work into backwards so when you started writing the book you had no idea how they met and no idea kind of what their life was together or had you some idea already about that so there were there were certain things I knew mainly because in the first half of the book, Isaac speaks very little. You know, he's he's quite animalistic. He's he's stopped taking care of himself. He doesn't speak to other people. Um, so I knew that you'd have to get to know him through flashbacks, um, which is their their meeting. I always knew how they'd meet because I I always knew they were going to uh, work on books together. They you know he's an illustrator, she's an author, so I knew that they'd meet in that way. Um, and I knew like a couple of things that would happen in their past. But the weird thing is, you know, a lot, a lot of people ask if the book's um, autobiographical, which which it isn't. But so much of Isaac and Mary, this might sound strange to say, but so much of Isaac and Mary is uh, myself, my my uh, fiance Nina. Um, so like I, it, it felt weird because I, I, I was borrowing a lot of it from real life and, and, and even down to, there's a there's a text conversation that Isaac reads back on between them about her buying a, an electric blanket and uh, him him calling her an old woman for it, uh, which is is you know a verbatim text conversation that Nina and I had very early in our relationship. So I was uh, I like it when people say that they feel like a genuine couple because it was drawn a lot on on my own experience of having that sort of relationship in the same way that a lot of Isaacs failings his his immaturity his um lack of of seriousness uh come from me as well yeah I guess when you're you're using bits of real life that's like they are the 
specific things that make the couple feel real it's not just some sort of like generic story but um how does your fiance feel about you borrowing aspects of your life together <laughs> I mean I think definitely at first it was strange because she knew it was a story where the where she's dead uh, yeah where she's dead. yeah exactly <laughs> um but I I think what what I I what she liked about it I think is it it feels like a, a, a testament to how I feel because once again it's it's about you know it's the sort of things that that young men especially might not be inclined to say out loud so I think it, it felt it felt a bit confessional in quite a nice way but um it's I I read I read some really really good memoir uh when I was when I was first starting out writing the book because as much as it's um not autobiographical in its grief I really didn't want it to to seem not genuine I didn't I didn't want it to seem like it was it was approaching a subject that um you know handling it badly basically Mm -hmm. so I I was I was careful to do a lot of research and I read a, a particular book called Say Her Name by Francisco Goldman which is the it's a memoir about him him losing his uh, partner uh, in her in her 20s her 30s uh, in a freak accident um and it is really really difficult to read it's it's incredibly brave bold writing but in between all of that the, the whole book is just a testament to how much he loved her and it's it's a really amazing reading experience because it's almost it's almost like a a eulogy um, uh, about his his love for her, and I I remember reading that and and having a bit of a eureka moment because you you can write about you can write about death, but you can you can make it full of full of love and full of life at the same time, and that and that was that was something I really wanted to carry over when I was writing this. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about your writing process then, because. I read in another interview you did that you kind of started almost with a couple of scenes, maybe the more comedic ones with Egg, where you were one with uh, the baked beans and the toaster, won't give anything away, and then another one where they're going through Mary's clothes. So did the book kind of start in a more fragmented way where you kind of tried to figure out what what the novel was about um, and kind of did you... Did you write scenes first? I know you did mention the word plan. So are you a planner? Maybe more than that seems to be. Yes, I'm. I'm. A, I'm a huge planner, but I, 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 I'm really, I'm really into films, really into TV. So I think when I when I started, yeah, obviously I got that initial idea from from the sort of Baby Yoda film type thing. I saw like you said, two specific scenes in my head. And then it was really about stitching those scenes into a story. Um, But I very much, I'm a huge planner. I will plan for months and months and months before I start writing anything. And it's almost, I was almost storyboarding it. So I, I I think the nature of the book is, uh, you know, there's there's essentially one, there's one main character. It's very tightly focused on him. Then you've got a, someone who's a figment of his memory and someone who might be a figment of his imagination. So, you know, it, it, it all depends on just Isaac in, in this one setting is it, pretty much all, all takes place in his house. So I almost planned it out. Like it was a one man show. And I knew that that scene would happen in the kitchen. I knew that 
the other scene would happen in the bedroom with the wardrobes. So it was it was about the first thing was you know how how does the creature come into his life and how and why does the story end and then it became the 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 plot itself ended up quite naturally following the those sort of classic stages of grief and that that's really how I worked out how egg would factor into Isaac's life so what would his role be during the denial stage what would his role be during the depression stage you know I, I already had the the anger stage of them smashing everything in Isaac's uh, kitchen cupboards so that that was that that formed like a loose basis and then that was enough to start writing it and then I reckon I got about two-thirds three-quarters of the way through the first draft where I realized why the story was happening and you know I don't want to spoil anything but there's a there's definitely a, a penny drop moment where you realize the the reason the reason that this particular story is being told um and that came surprisingly late and I, I think that that once again um harks back to that that conversation about writing comedy versus writing something a bit more serious it it was much more of a comedy until that realization and then I the whole book just transformed at that point and became something um that I like to think is a, a little bit more mm. I'm amazed that you said it came late to you because it, it doesn't feel like that in the novel at all which well, is I, I had to go, what you want <laughs> I had to go back and do a lot mm. because then it becomes almost a mystery um mm. so I had to go back and breadcrumb a lot through the plot and start foreshadowing something that when I started writing it I didn't even <laughs> was going to happen at the end but that's you know that's that's I think um so many great authors have said about first drafts that it's like you know you're telling that you're telling yourself the story or you're or you're stumbling through a dark woods with a lantern and you can only see so far ahead of you it's it's a uh, I think a good a good first draft writing experience is one way you find a lot out about the story as as, as mm. you go along and even when you're a planner right because it's it's a nice surprise when you discover something that you haven't planned for and it and it comes to you and and it makes the writing process more interesting when when you are you are surprised as as the writer well it's like reading it's you know you it's like you're telling yourself a story and and if if something if you think of something when you're when you're writing and it excites you it's it's probably going to have the same impact when someone's reading and, and and that happens in in their reading experience so I think the emotions you feel when you're when you're writing really play into how a how a book comes out if 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 you find a specific scene boring to write it's probably boring to read and in the same way if you enjoy writing a scene it's probably one of the more fun ones but I find if I enjoy writing a scene I'll rush through it and it will just be like totally uh totally devoid of any actual feeling because I'll just be like this is so fun I need to get to the end <laughs> and you've kind of spoken about this a little bit in that answer but your what was your decision process in terms of point of view because you've used a third person and you kind of it's a little bit of an unreliable narrator third person which I guess when we usually talk about unreliable narrators we think of first person narrators um so how did you make those de decisions about 
what to reveal when and how much to reveal so i i went with the third person it's very close on isaac and it, it almost is his point of view but i i think if i'd done first person it would have been harder to stagger the what's really going on it would have been a lot harder to reveal what's really going on towards the end when isaac starts to accept uh reality um i it, i i had to just be very i had to be smart in the use of flashbacks basically i think flashbacks were really important in terms of showing you a certain amount of both isaac and mary's relationship and Isaac in the in the aftermath of of um what happened so that you could then bring in a bit more of those same flashbacks later on and you start to get a, a clearer sense of the the bigger picture um and then also egg as a as a visitor as a a character who knows just as little as as the reader became a really uh, interesting tool because there's there you know there's a natural comedy in this um little furry two foot tall strange little thing playing detective but um it meant that there was always a, a set of eyes on Isaac so if Isaac was believing that he was acting in one way or pretending to act in one way there was always a way that I as as the author and and you as the reader could see that he's not telling the truth mm. um but it's it's it was really it was really um fun to do that because i i've never thought about writing you know crime fiction or mystery or anything but it's it's like a great puzzle to work out and like you said work it out backwards to uh, mm-hmm. to to know just how much tension how much mystery to drop in when without giving the game away basically so now you're a debut author is there anything that you know now that you wish you'd known before you started this is very easy to say in hindsight but if you I would say if you write a book and you don't sell it it, it's not the end of the world It, it felt like the most crushing thing that could possibly have happened but now having had that experience it was great a great learning experience it was, it was great practice I feel like the book I then wrote was better and and I, I wish I could go back and I, I almost think every author should write one book that they don't sell because it's like getting that out of your system mm. and then and then you know I I feel lucky that my writing style is probably more polished and less rambling than it was when I when I sent off that first one hundred and twenty thousand word manuscript or something, um, but yeah, I think I think that's that's an important one. And also, just we we would we've talked about this a bit, but um, just really appreciating every single little moment because the goalposts do move. You you get an agent and then you want to get published. Uh, in the same way as when you when your book comes out and you start talking to people about it, they, you, I I know that in in months time's moving so fast at the moment. That I know in months time I'll go. I wish I could remember every single little conversation I had because it's such a special experience. And I think when you when you write a book, anyone reading it, anyone connecting with it is is just the absolute dream for an author. So. Uh, 
it sounds cheesy, but yeah, just enjoy, enjoy every bit of it. And obviously that failure of yours turned into a success because you managed to write another book and um, it's probably done better than you could ever have imagined the first book doing. Um, but how did you kind of carry on? Was it just a belief in this in this other novel? How, how did you, because at that point when you started writing it, you didn't know your other book wasn't going to sell. But when when it didn't sell, was it a big kind of knock to your confidence? It's... It's difficult because I think by the time I knew outright that it wasn't going to sell, Ice and the Egg was really far along, maybe even done. So <laughs> I I almost didn't have time. I could tell that it wasn't things weren't going the way I had I had hoped. But then I just used that as a don't think about it. Write this other book instead. Mm-hmm. And I I think um, I I definitely feel like this. I think a lot of authors would say the same I don't know how, how you feel but even if no one was reading what I was writing I, I I feel like I have to write I feel like it's it's the the most therapeutic meditative outright fun experience um and I think if you're not having fun writing uh you should probably take take some time off or not be a writer because mm-hmm. I think being a writer is is as much a hobby to any 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 writer as it is a job so I I there just wasn't ever a question of whether I'd I'd write something else I I think I I started pretty soon after <laughs> after um but that was really because because of the whole lockdown thing I would have been really twiddling my thumbs otherwise but but no I think um if this this is once again this is very easy to say but I think if this one hadn't sold I would have I would have written a third one then a fourth one then a fourth <laughs> one but maybe uh maybe that's that's me being able to say that with the benefit of knowing that this one did sell mm. I think sometimes when I'm having a particularly hard time writing and it's not fun and I think to myself like just stop and just don't bother then there's that feeling that kicks in that it's this horrific thought of not writing again and I yeah. think that's when you know that it's not it's not it's almost like not a choice you know you, yeah. you just gotta do it and like you say it's a little bit cliche to say but I think um if you're if you're a writer and you love writing whether it gets published or whether it's a success whether anyone ever reads it apart from you if you if the thought of stopping writing is unbearable then you're probably doing the right thing yeah I, t- I totally agree with that and I think it is a it's a it's a horrifying thing. What would what would what would I do with my time? What would what would you do with your time? You know, it's it's um it's just being able to sit down and and make things up is is so much fun that I, I even if uh, even if everything you wrote was going straight onto a fire or into a drawer, you you <laughs> you'd still want to do it. So as we're on the topic of writing another book, finally, are you able to tell us? what you're working on next oh yes i'll tell you in in very very vague and super that's fine <laughs> um it's a uh a book <laughs> <laughs> it's um no it's 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 similar it's similar to isaac in in ways in that it's it's got a, a similar sort of magical realist slant there's a there's a another character who's a young man having a bit of a crisis but there's also other characters i wanted to I wanted to try a few different voices in this one. So it's it's got um 
a handful of main characters. It's about a family, mainly about a, a father and a son um, who don't have the best relationship. The son goes back to his his family home in the countryside for the first time in a long time when his his dad goes missing in the in the vast woods around their house, uh, and then all sorts of mysterious things happen that you will hopefully be able to read about at some point soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really can't wait, Bobby. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. That was Bobby Palmer talking about his contemporary novel, Isaac and the Egg, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.